all ninjas, calling all ninjas. It's time for Lime Ninja Radio. Today on Lime Ninja Radio. That gets into the more spiritual thing, but but not seeing yourself and your mind, all these things as separate entities, seeing them more holistically and realizing that you have the power to influence them through your emotions and, and thoughts. This podcast is sponsored by the Lime Ninja Symptom Tracker. I'm so excited to tell you about our new Lime Ninja Symptom Tracker. One of the things I hear over and over again, whether it's talking to a patient in my office or consulting over the phone with a client, is just how difficult it is to keep track of progress on their Lyme journey. Recording symptoms daily or even weekly gives them too many data points. There are so many ups and downs, twists and turns that at some point they get lost and confused. The Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker takes all the guesswork out of tracking symptoms with a simple monthly questionnaire. Once a month is the perfect interval to see if that new supplement or protocol is working. Right now, when you take the Symptom Tracker questionnaire, we give you a simple composite score for the month. But we have big plans and the data you enter will not be lost as we roll out new features. Best of all, it's free. Just head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker and sign up. That's LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker You'll be glad you did. Hello, I'm your host and acupuncturist, McKay Rippey, and this is episode number 162 with Lime Ninja, Jared Iverson. Also, welcome our show producer and the brains behind Lime Ninja Radio, Aurora. Hello, and in this episode, you will learn how Jared used hypnosis and tapping to undo the subconscious blocks that were keeping him from wellness, why he was only able to heal when he started looking at his health more holistically, and the nine principles that help people heal from illness. Every journey through Lyme disease is different, and cookie-cutter approaches just don't work. You need to fight Lyme like a ninja. And that's why each week we bring you new and interesting guests just for you. Lyme disease is an international problem. I mean, we all know that now, right? <laughs> Lyme disease is an international problem. And each week we have listeners join us from all over the world. And this week from Stockholm to Toronto and Russia with love to Australia. It took me way too long to get that. What do you mean it took you way too long? <laughs> From Russia with love. Just oh, took me way too Bond long. James Bond reference there. I know. You're usually right on top of those things. <laughs> I know. And our podcast hosting service keeps track of which towns have the most listens each week. And we like to put together a little top 10 list. So here we go. At number 10 is Rayford, North Carolina. Number nine, Newton Falls, Ohio. Number eight, Nevada City. Number seven, Belleville, Canada. Number six, San Jose, California. Number five, Ashburn, Virginia. Keeping it real, Ashburn. They are. <laughs> Number four, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Number three, Toronto, Canada. Number two, St. Louis, Missouri. And number one, a big surprise, Stockholm, Stockholm. Sweden. 
Getting some international representation. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, Aurora, before, <laughs> before we get carried away, why don't you tell us a little bit more about this week's guest, Lime Ninja, Jared Iverson. Jared Iverson is a writer who lives in New York City. He was bitten by a tick when he was a teenager, and though he was tested for Lyme, it came back negative. So he went to college and fell ill. He was ill for several years after that, but found a turning point when he finally faced the reality of his disease, took responsibility for his life, and took a step back from medical treatment to focus on the immense and took a step back from medical treatment to focus on the mental and emotional roadblocks that were preventing him from getting healthy. Thanks, Aurora. And here's our interview with Jared Iverson. Hello, Jared. This is McKay Rippey from Lime Ninja Radio. Hey, McKay. How's it going? Very well. Post Thanksgiving fasting, I'm trying to get back home. <laughs> uh, me too. I'm on a I'm on an intermittent fast right now. <laughs> oh, you do you do that as well? Yeah, yeah. So how how long do you go? Uh, I usually just go, you know, maybe fourteen, sixteen hours after dinner, then have like a late breakfast. So nothing too strenuous. Nothing too strenuous, yeah. I have a friend who has the worst digestion, Lyme-related, that I've ever come across. And uh, the only way she was kind of able to get some semblance of normalcy was she had to fast for 28 days. Wow. And she did add in uh, amino acids, like just free amino acids uh, to to stay alive during that time and and to help her a little bit, but she has a kind of a five days off, two days eating routine, and uh, she's not thrilled. Oh, wow. Yeah, she's not thrilled with it. But anything more than that, and what she can eat is very very limited too. Anything more than that, and her just digestion just is destroyed, and she feels terrible. It's really, she's really caught between a rock and a hard place. So the intermittent fasting can be a lifesaver. That's for sure. Yeah, it really can. It can be very healing to the gut and all that. Now, Jared, you're in the New York City area and kind of the end of end of your Lyme journey. Well, if it ever ends where you are right, right now is we're in a you're in a good. Yeah, you're in a good place. So tell us a little about what you're doing. What are you working on? What are your dreams? Yeah, so um, I live in in Brooklyn, New York now and moved there about two years ago after college and right now I'm working as a screenwriter in in the city working with on some projects with producers and it's something that I sort of discovered during my Lyme journey this this creative creative passion that I had was something that was awakened with all this Lyme stuff having the time to sort of step back and it actually started when you know I had to take a semester off from college and like I was literally bed down for months and didn't have the energy or the strength to move and I was very much in a dark place and didn't really know what to do with myself and sort of this writing became an outlet for me and basically a way to keep myself sane 
because it was all I could do from my bed. It was all I had the strength to do. And I sort of, it just became a, a passion of mine. It was something that I always loved doing as a kid, but never really considered just because of, you know, family, social expectations and all that of not growing up in such a creative community. But my parents have been so, so supportive of this since since I discovered it. And it's been really fulfilling. And I'm actually so grateful to the the Lime and the journey that it's taken me on to and where it's brought me in my life so far. I hear that so often from people who have come through the eye of the needle, so to speak. But let's let's go back to the beginning because I'm sure you didn't start out there grateful for having Lyme disease. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) So tell us, where were you when you got bit? How old were you? What was that like for the first, you know, how long did it take to figure out you had Lyme? The the usual questions there. Tell your story. Yeah, I think that's actually a very important question, too, because, you know, our stories are very powerful as, you know, as as a storyteller, I really believe that. And they have a big impact, I think, on how we see the world and, and our reality. And I just remember when I was in the thick of it, I'll get to the, uh, the full story, but I just want to make this quick point. <laughs> uh, like when I was in the thick of it, it was very much going to doctors basically every week, one doctor to the next doctor, the next doctor, they're asking you, how did it start? What, what are you feeling? What are your symptoms? What have you tried? And it's cost constantly reinforcing this, this identity of Lyme, of illness, of being sick, of disease. And for me, that was something that I had to really shift out of, of to stop calling myself sick or ill. You know, obviously you have to recognize what's going on, but I became so obsessed with the symptoms. Oh, I felt a little tweak in my toe today. Like, what does that mean? What's going on? Is my nervous system falling apart or whatever? You know, just getting into a very fearful state. And... I came across this book called The Happiness Hypothesis and by the psychologist Jonathan Haidt and it's a really beautiful book. It talks a lot about psychologically, you know, researched methods for bringing more happiness into your life. And one of the things he talks about is how our stories, our life stories, especially when it relates to traumas and illnesses, how the people that have the best long-term outcomes in those situations are the ones that are able to find the silver lining or find some sort of meaning within um, that trauma. And so for me, being able to sort of just reframe the illness as something that wasn't a curse or like, oh, why did this happen to me? I'm such a victim of this, which I was in that place for years and years and years. And it, it takes a lot of work to get out of it. But when you can pull yourself out and I would like to talk about some of the ways I did that but when you can reframe that it it just shifts your whole perspective and you're like well maybe I can learn something from this maybe this has given me something like I said it gave me that time and that space to write and to explore this creative side that I never really looked at before and so 
that's just one point I wanted to make about kind of shifting and reframing your approach to the illness and how you look at it. But, you know, it took me a long time because I grew up in Connecticut, which is sort of Lime City. And I remember the summer before I left for college, I found a tick on me. And my mom had brought it into like our doctor, our pediatrician. He said, oh, we tested it. It's fine. It doesn't carry Lyme. (laughs) And so, you know, they didn't put me on antibiotics or anything, didn't treat me for it. And then I went off to college two months later. And that was sort of my first time away from home. First time doing all that. And I got very run down, very sick. And about two months into my college experience was, not flat on my back. So and just let's so, pause there for a second. So are you doing the normal college freshman thing, figuring out how to party, who your friends are, that sort of thing? Or are you like a library kid? No, I was, I mean, I was not such a big partier, but it was definitely my first experience of like <laughs> being away and sort of, you know, getting that freedom and definitely was staying up very late yeah not eating well drinking you know obviously that's part of it and i think that just really wiped out my immune system and this it's you know lime can be in you and it's very opportunistic when when stress or things like that suppress the immune system it kicks in (laughs) it took about two years to actually get properly diagnosed with it so are you going to the health center at college? Or are you going to doctors where you were? Where, you know, what's, what does this look like? Are you just kind of dragging yourself around campus? Yeah, well, I started, first off was the health center. And it started out in my stomach, you know, kind of with like, it seemed maybe like a yeah, stomach yeah. virus, that kind of thing. You know, that's such a... I'm finding that more and more that, yeah. uh, you know, whether it's food poisoning or stomach virus or, you know, I've, and who knows whether that's the bacteria attacking there or if that's just an opportunistic uh, in, infection or a triggering infection. But th- that story is so prevalent. Anyway, so sorry to interrupt. Yeah. So so you've got a stomach flu. What do you think is a stomach flu? Yeah, it was well, it was interesting because at the time on at my school, there was this outbreak of the norovirus. Ah, uh, it's a, you know a stomach type virus. Yep. But that, the symptoms of that are are like much more vomiting and much more severe than my stomach virus was. Like I had fever and chills and sort of the other symptoms, but it and diarrhea and like that. But I was never diagnosed with the norovirus. They said no, no, it's not that. I don't but, know what it is. But they never tested. No, they never tested. Yeah, okay. But so the the health center sort of gave me antibiotics and sent me on my way. Did you feel better? Uh, but, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, you know, that's a whole other issue that the system that we have is sort of ill-equipped to deal with these kinds of things unfortunately and the doctors do the best that they can with the information that they have and i know people like you are really which i think is so wonderful how you're trying to raise the awareness and working with all these researchers to 
find better testing and, and just better diagnostic models for this kind of thing. Yeah, it really is the awareness of it. And it's not part, you think, so we, let me back up a little bit. On college yeah. campuses, they are aware of infections, right? Because you've got the hepatitis, what can be serious, and you've got the flus going around and things like that. So there's a little bit more awareness of that than I think even in general practitioners. But they're focused on these short-term uh, dramatic illnesses uh, rather right. than these chronic low grade, you know, it's kind of more like the mono kind of thing, but mono, you know, mono, once it's identified, you get some rest, you kind of come out of it again. The body seems to come out of it fairly well. And, but there are these other, these other infections, whether it's Babesia or Bartonella and, and why don't actually jump in there since you, since you know, I assume, did you have co-infections with the Lyme? Yeah, I did uh, have Babesia yeah. and possibly Bartonella. It was never officially diagnosed, but I was. It was addressed. Yeah, so the obviously, as you know, the the fever and chills kind of stage here, even though it may have may or may not have been a virus related, you know, does sound an awful lot like some of those Babesia systems, those malaria type symptoms. Okay, yeah. so you're feeling miserable. You're a freshman. You think you're just not taking care of yourself, sleeping too much. I mean, not sleeping too much, not getting enough sleep. Sleeping, the opposite, yeah. not sleeping enough. You know, you're eating the dining hall food, which is hit or miss. You know, you're going out, having fun, and things start piling up now. So now what happens? Yeah, so then... Basically, my parents came down for parents' weekend, and I basically stayed at the hotel with them for, like, my mom ended up staying an extra week or so because I was just so weak and tired and just stayed at the hotel with them, and they were getting me food and all that, trying to get me back on my feet a little bit. Wow. And we we ended up seeing a gastroenterologist uh, because of the stomach issues. And, you know, basically in the beginning it was, we had no idea what was going on. I just felt so miserable and we went, I mean, it's hard to summarize all of it because I don't remember exactly how it all progressed, but I just remember seeing probably 20 doctors in, in that first year, maybe, and all of them just saying, you're fine. I think it's just stress, you know, college, something like that. Maybe it's some kind of low grade infection, but they didn't really know what to do for me. So and you, hang on. You said you saw 20 doctors in a year, 20 different doctors. Maybe not, maybe not that many, but <laughs> that's like, that's one every other week. That's like amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Probably before I got diagnosed, it took me about two and a a little over two years to get diagnosed. I think I would say I saw at least 20 doctors in that time. Yes, that's one a month. That's, you know, that's a yeah. lot of appointments. It's like yeah. a full-time job being sick, right? It, it was, yeah. That was the thing. It was, it was hard, you know, to keep up with school and all that because it was going to doctors almost once a week, you know? And what did your mom think? Or was she just worried about you? 
she was worried. They, you know, they were very worried because they didn't know if I was losing my mind or <laughs> if it was real. You know, that's the other thing that it was, you know, a lot of the doctors weren't recognizing that there was something physically wrong. So they were questioning, well, you know, is he, is something wrong because he's going away from home and at school and is he imagining these things? Is he going crazy? And I didn't know either, you know, it was, it was a very scary, very scary time and, and very, you feel very powerless and, and I, that's something I just think that if I can impart on people, like, that you, you do have the power and, and you don't have to necessarily rely on these doctors to, to steer you and to, to tell you, to give you a label, like, it helps so much to have that label and that diagnosis. But for me, the the thing that shifted everything for me was when I stopped relying on the doctors or my parents or someone outside of me to tell me what was wrong and to tell me how to fix it. But I started researching it and just going on the Internet and finding podcasts like this, which has been such a godsend to me. And listening to all these people tell their stories and and their things that they're researching and all of these options and areas to explore. And I've done hours, hundreds of hours of research just on my own, diving into this stuff. And to me, like, taking charge of my own health was something that I needed to do, like, as a person, to grow as a person, and also something that I needed to do to heal myself. So looking back, it's easy to see that. I heard a description yeah. once is that, you know, it's hard for successful people to really communicate how they got to that point. Because when they look back, what they see is this straight path and they forget the yeah. twists and turns <laughs> and the the dead ends and the switchbacks and all the problems that they encountered along the way. It's the path magically smooths out once you reach the other end. So oh, yeah. take take it us absolutely. to the yeah take us to the point where you're decisioned it's like man I'm on my own and this isn't a bad thing or you know I'm sick and tired of this I need to take charge what what was that moment where you said okay I I need to do something here Yeah I I mean it absolutely was not <clears throat> sorry a straight path at all. I mean, as recently as a, a year ago, I was ready to give up. But so I'll get to that. And, but the point that I remember where I had to take charge was probably about two years ago. I had graduated college. I'd moved out to LA because I wanted to pursue this writing thing. But, you know, a few months out there and I had run myself into the ground again and I just was back in bed. I couldn't move again and I was so frustrated because I had just started to regain a little strength and you know I was at a low point again and we had we ended up going from there out to this treatment center in Arizona that was like a very intensive very expensive center and that I did about a week of treatment there and went home, went back home to Connecticut and tried to recuperate. And I just remember a couple of months down the road feeling like 
that was a waste of time. That did nothing. And I was devastated because at that point in time, I was so, every time I would come up with the new treatment, I was so hopeful and like, it's hard to describe it, but like I would, you're in such a dark place and you want so badly to believe that this is going to be the thing that helps you and that gets you back to yourself, back to normal. And when that doesn't happen, it's, it's really devastating. And so that's, that's where I was. I had just finished this expensive, expensive treatment and felt like I'm back where I was, you know, months and months ago. And I don't know where to turn. I've, Felt like I had exhausted everything, turned over every rock. And now, you know, because I'd seen all these doctors, gone to this big expensive thing, and was still feeling all of my symptoms. And I said, okay, you know, I can't keep going to all these doctors and, and not finding the answer. So at that point, I just went on the computer and started really researching these things because up to that point, I think I was very afraid to really examine the illness because I remember hearing all kinds of stories of people that had all kinds of, you know, horrible things happen to them or that were sick for 10 years. Well, (laughs) I can welcome to the club now, but at the time I was like, I can't imagine going through that. Like that just sounds devastating. And I, um, I didn't want to face it. I didn't want to really look at it and acknowledge it. So I was um, just kind of pushing off the responsibility to my parents, let them figure it out, let the doctors figure it out, and giving away my power to everyone else. So yeah, that, that would be, I would say, the moment when I sort of turned things around. But from there, it was still two years until I found something that really works for me. So in some ways, this is a coming-of-age story. Absolutely, yeah. Except you did it through Lyme disease. (laughs) (laughs) It was definitely a coming-of-age story because I think I didn't, as a child, I I didn't take that all that responsibility. I let people comfort me and, and nurture me, and that was something I had to learn. You know... That's actually an interesting place to go. Sorry to cut you off, but go ahead. We can go there. Yeah, please do. Yeah. Well, one of the things that that um, I that really helped me so much was examining unconscious beliefs that I had, and some. It's something that I started exploring of how much our subconscious really actually affects our nervous system and our immune system and our whole life, the way we see the world. And for me, I discovered that I had a lot of beliefs about the world being a very dangerous place and being uh, scary and that I was weak. And these were all things that I just picked up subconsciously as a child through, you know, the way I was raised. There was, my parents are wonderful, beautiful people, but you realize as a child from the age of zero to six, your brain is sort of in a state of hypnosis. It's in delta brainwaves, which it's like a trance state and you're picking things up. 
so quickly on, on a nonverbal, non-language level. And they get lodged into your subconscious. And it shapes the way you look at the world. So for me, it was someone, when I went to college, is someone who saw the world as dangerous and scary. And, and that, like, suppresses the immune system. And it did make me vulnerable and weaker to these types of things. And so the, one of the things that helped me a lot to discover these things, because you can't really just look at yourself and say, oh, what do I believe subconsciously that I'm not aware of? It's like you kind of have to use techniques to get in there. So for me, it was hypnosis and tapping, actually, EFT. Yeah. Which helped to help me recognize these things that I picked up from childhood that were holding me back. And going in and reprogramming those things was probably one of the top three things that I did that helped me turn the corner in my health, both in terms of how I felt, but also mentally, like, not being so vigilant of my symptoms and feeling, you know, feeling that identity of being sick all the time and feeling like I can't enjoy my life until I'm 100, 1,000% healthy like that was my mindset for a long time and now I feel like even if I feel a little achy one day it's like okay big deal I, I have so much to be grateful for and I have so many beautiful things in my life that I can enjoy without having to feel like 1000% full of energy every single moment you know you bring up a very interesting point and that is we live as if our thoughts are our own. And for the most part, they're not. They're, we've kind of got this random thought generator part of our brain and very little of what we think we actually consciously generate. It's just a, a reaction to something. And the emotional subfloor, the emotional foundation in which we live generates that. And that's one of the beautiful things about the five element acupuncture, which I practice is they've got this idea codified and that if you get stuck in an emotion somewhere, emotion should just be a response to something and helps us identify what's good, what's bad and, and go through the world. And like you said, if you're stuck in a place where everything's scary, you're stuck in an emotion. That's not, it's helpful at times. Like when you're playing in the middle of the road, you should be scared to get out of the road. However, when you're exactly. in the library and have a test coming up that you should be terrified or you have a symptom that comes up, you know, it shouldn't cause terror. Uh, and when we're stuck there, the thoughts that are generated from that emotion are fearful thoughts. And we think we're thinking those, <laughs> right? We right. think, we think that that's some logical because it's a thought and word and not an emotion that it's some logical part of us and that actually makes sense. And then we go around looking for evidence to back that up, that it's logical and makes sense. And that is actually how the world is. And that is, and that's the lizard part of our brain. That's the animal part of our brain. Just, just desperately trying to survive. And at one point it, it may have helped us. And so we grasp to that. We grasp onto that as the strategy to make it through life. And it doesn't always serve us. It doesn't always serve us. And we see this in, in extreme forms, people with post-traumatic stress disorder. And whether it's from, you know, being a victim, uh, 
somewhere or witnessing something terrible or actually in a war zone, something like that, or even a traumatic, traumatic illness or injury over time. But the emotion gets stuck, right? And then you get triggered, Absolutely. this whole trigger thing, right? And so there, there we're aware that something is wrong, right? Because it's so out of context for what's going on around us. But there are lots of us, and I don't want to call it PTSD, but that's just the right way the brain and the emotions work. We get stuck. We can't flow out of, or we can't pull ourselves out of an emotion, either because we're not, we're blind to it, really think this is reality, or that we just can't get our hands on the levers, the, uh, the controls to, to move the emotion. And that's where something like EFT comes in, the hypnosis comes in, uh, acupuncture at that level comes in. Uh, there's, we've interviewed people in the past, uh, Bill Harris and his, uh, uh, audio yeah, stuff. Yeah. The Holosync exactly to retrain the brain or whether it's an actual, um, uh, other type of training that you can, you can get the brain going where you're looking at the different brain waves and, and modulating those directly. So it's such a, it's such an important point. It's so, and we, you know, we get into, I get into the physical part of things. Like your body needs some physical, you can't live, live on air. You need some food. And Chinese right. re- recognize that you have what they call air chi which to me means being outside and in the sunshine and exercising, moving around. So it's more than just (laughs) breathing in through your lungs, but then there's the food chi, right? It's like, you need to eat, you need to eat food. Right. And so we need stuff. And so it's, it's so seductive to get caught on the food side of things. And I mean, by supplements, I mean that in terms of antibiotics, I mean, anything you put in your mouth, that's what I'm talking about. Food, not just Thanksgiving dinner. And we forget the air. We forget the air cheap part of things. We forget all these activities, uh, mental discipline, uh, just a healthy lifestyle and training our brain, your brain. I haven't said this in a while. Your brain is not your friend, (laughs) right? All it wants to do is reproduce and survive. And that's it. And if you, you know, if you want to be a writer, a screenwriter, if you want to do something with your life, then you have to control that animal. You have to learn to ride whatever particular beast you were given, or you kind of grew up alongside of. And the idea to let the beast run the show is, is disempowering. It's limiting. It's limiting because at some point, you know, we, we had a horse on our little farm for a while. And at some point, the horse just didn't want to do anything. And it would just put its paws in the ground. And that was it. You're, you're going home. And we, we never were good enough, uh, horse folk to be able to get that horse to go beyond the point that it didn't, it didn't want to go. And so that's our minds a little bit like that. It'll go places you don't want to go. Oh my God, I can't make that phone call for me. That's I don't like making phone calls. I'm terrified of that or I'm terrified of whatever. Right. And then becomes a phobia. And then we, then we live it and need to, to deprogram it. Or we justify why phones were stupid to be invented anyway. And I'm only going to text. Thank you very much. Right. I think this is, this is such an important point. There's so, that was so beautiful what you just said, and I have, there's a lot that I wanted to respond to in there. Cause it's, it's, with the lime, it's like, it's so, it sucks you in so much, and it pulls you into such a dark place. 
because of the way that the bacteria does go into your brain and like it, it creates this reality for you that like you're not aware of of but like you said it's hard to recognize the thoughts when when they're just your thoughts in your head it's like a wheel spinning around and around and around and around like on, if you look at a bicycle wheel it just looks like one continuous thing but if you actually slow the wheel down and stop it you see oh there's spokes and there's spaces in between these in, in between the wheels and that's like your thoughts like it's just constantly moving and constantly in this fearful dark place because that's what the line does to you but if you're able to find these techniques like meditation and tapping and things that can slow it down you can start to recognize that okay like these are just this is just my brain firing trying to protect me and all these things and you can find the space to pull yourself out of it and to not attach the the meaning to it uh, you know, there's, there's more I want to say. Yeah, exactly. And l- l- let me put this in there and then, then you can respond again. Get, get your thoughts together. Yeah. So th- there's a part of our brain and I don't know what it is, but it, it shows up with acupuncture treatment a lot. And when we were in England study with J.R. Worsley, he, the British had a, a saying that went, I feel better within myself. So they'd come back after a couple treatments and said, yeah, you know, my whatever, back pain, symptoms, whatever, are still the same, but I feel better within myself. So somehow some part of the brain is is doing a scan over the body and saying, yeah, we're in a better space. And Lyme disease, we, we know brain injuries cause suicidal ideations, which that's a fancy way of saying you think suicidal thoughts. You're thinking, okay, maybe it'd be better right. if I ended it all. Lyme disease does the same thing. So whether it's an actual brain injury that the Lyme is doing or whether it just, that's the body's quick overview of the scan of, of itself is saying, you know, things aren't very good. Maybe better for, you know, for reproductive survival as the tribe if, if you took yourself out because you're using too many resources, you know, whatever that kind of lizard brain hardwired program is there. Right. And it's not necessarily so. It's just the, th- the thoughts that are coming up on damage at some level. It would just, you know, we go, it would just be easier to end it. And some, you know, we're used to thinking about this and hearing about it and seeing movies about it when somebody's in so much psychological pain that they just, oh, yeah. I, can't, I can't do this anymore. But there's this physical, and it doesn't even, it can be pain. Clearly, people who are in so much pain that they just want it, we can understand that. But there's this physiological level of non-functioning or poor functioning that the brain comes up with the same solution. Oh, let's end it. And again, it's not us thinking it. It's this deep, hardwired assessment of what's going on. And it's not your thoughts. It's not some weakness, a mental weakness, something that... Somebody said to you when you were two or something that happened to you when you were five or any of that. It's just the brain's own assessment, the body's own assessment of what's going on there. And unfortunately, we don't have control system, right? We don't have red lights or you plug your car in a computer these days. It tells you what's wrong. All you're left with is a very simple message like uh, this isn't going so well. Maybe there's maybe it's better not to move on. Yeah, and that I I've been there. I I've had those thoughts, and it's really scary 
because, you know, my parents would tell me, like, oh, like, are you okay? Like, you seem depressed. And I would say, no, like, I would deny it because I wasn't even, it's hard, like, it didn't feel like part of me. Like, it felt like something outside of me was coming in and putting these thoughts in my head and pulling me into this dark place. And like I can under I understand how powerful this this bacteria this disease can be, and that's why I think it's so important to find these tools and these techniques to to help pull you out of that place and like uh, really address it emotionally because there are there's like you said it's so much this physiological change in your brain that is altering your thoughts, but thoughts are also chemical, biological, there's this whole field now of, of psychoneuroimmunology, which is basically just a fancy way of saying how our thoughts translate to electrical impulses, which translates to neuropeptides, which translates to hormones, and creates this whole biological cascade in the body, literally from thought. And, and, and it can be very easy to get into this place of feeling like you don't have control of your thoughts and like this disease is taking over and that is it's very scary and I'm would just like to tell people that I've been in that place for many years and now I recognize that there are lots of tools that can help you take back control of of your mind and your emotions and those things in turn Heal your body and it's really it's an amazing thing like you were saying before about the um the food for food for me was the first pillar that helped me really build my strength back up and it's very i think it's a very important piece but it also became something that became another thing that i was afraid of like oh now i can't eat that because it's sugar or gluten or whatever it was another thing that I was transferring my fears and my phobias onto and I watched this um, there's this doctor this uh, researcher that I love called Dr. Joe Dispenza and he talks all about how these the psychoneuroimmunology aspect and about how by the time we're like 35 years old 90% of our thoughts are just subconscious programs that have been hardwired into our brain and we're not even really having new thoughts or new ideas that we're aware of. It's, it's so true, gets, right? So, it's so true. Yeah. And what I gotta, I gotta, I, yeah, I gotta pause here because this is so exciting because it doesn't, it doesn't, it, this is not about intelligence. This is why in science, most breakthroughs come from people who don't have their PhDs master's level and below or somebody totally outside because once once you get to this level especially if you're super educated you you're in such a mental box that there are no new ideas it is programming even if it's rocket science programming that's just sophisticated programming it's still limited to a box and Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. The same thing, the same thing happens to us. And what you were saying earlier actually does that is you were stuck in this box of, Oh, I'm a victim and Oh, I'm really focused on my symptoms. And what your, what your story really starting to say is healing was beginning to even, so even when you change your diet and we're starting to feel better in some ways, you were still stuck in this box. 
Yeah. Right. And then, and so was it the hypnosis? What, what pulled you outside? What, what made you realize you're like, Oh my God, I've been limiting myself. I have these limiting thoughts and beliefs. Yeah, it was a combination of, I think, hypnosis, tapping, meditation, and gratitude. Those four things, I think, because I'd done a lot of the physical work. Like, I was feeling, still feeling physical symptoms, but, like, physically I was feeling so much better. I had strength, I was able to have a job move out of home, all those things. But mentally, I was in a prison that I just couldn't enjoy my life. I was afraid. And it was because this disease is traumatic in a way. It, it does put you into, it can pull, pull you into that place, especially if you have these programs from when you were a kid and all these things. So yeah, I really dove deeply into these emotional, psychological aspects of it. And the tapping, very, very powerful tool because it, it bypasses the conscious mind, goes right into the programming. Meditation, same thing. And gratitude really helps shift the perspective of, of instead of focusing your attention on, oh, I can't travel because I don't feel well and I can't eat this, you know, becoming victim and playing that role as opposed to, Oh my gosh, I live, I'm alive. Let's start with that. <laughs> I live in this awesome apartment. I have beautiful people in my life that support me and help me. And I can eat this awesome grass fed burger that I made for myself. And just shifting your attention and your energy because again, attention, energy, these all have biological effects in the body. And that's something that I've learned through researching these things and that I've noticed personally on a personal level how much my healing has really taken off since getting the emotions into that place of positive, good feeling feelings having an effect on my body. Because there's such a separation in the traditional system of mind-body, but, but that's so... I don't know. It, it it doesn't seem logical to me, and I'm sure you n understand the same with Chinese medicine. It's seen much more holistically as it's all one system. There's a researcher. His name is Antonio Damasio. He's one of these genius. He's got a PhD in psychology and a PhD in like neuroscience, something, something, some split like that. Anyway, one, one of these mm -hmm. guys and he has a popular book and it's probably been out now for 20 years. That's the danger of getting old is you've been around a while and remember things that are, aren't, uh, aren't current, <laughs> <laughs> but it beats the alternative. I'm told now, but anyway, he has, he had a brilliant insight. So they caught was an interesting character. He desperately wanted to do scientific study, you know, the beginning of scientific study, the beginning, beginning of the light enlightenment. And at the time, the, the Catholic church was the 800 pound gorilla and they got to decide who got to do what. So he came up with this argument. He said, you know what? I'm not interested in the soul. I'm not interested in the mind. I'm not interested in the emotions. All I want to study is the physical part, 
Mm. So he, he invented this separation that didn't happen anywhere else in the world. It didn't happen any other way. So th- the name of his book is Descartes' Error and, you know, Error in Quotes. So Descartes created this world. He, he actually had a new thought. That was a new thought from the time that there was a separation, right? He created this separation because it, it fit his needs. And the church bought into it. They said, okay, that's, that sounds reasonable because we know the flesh is sinful anyway. So maybe we'll, we'll learn something about the flesh if you study it. But that set this whole cascade that we have now where, where you're exactly talking about that. So the healing that you're doing is based on Descartes' argument from hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And what it's left us with is we've got this idea of mind over matter, right? And a lot of people, that's right. an unconscious thought. That's just something that they've heard and made sense and is useful in some context. But what what Damasio was saying is like, look, it's it's not just mind over matter. It's not a one way street where the mind controls. I mean, we I even remember seeing some of these old Star Trek things, right, where they become the alien race and their heads are about the size of a, I don't know a beach ball, right? They've got these giant heads because their brain's so smart and they barely move, right? They don't need their physical body anymore. They do everything through their mind. So we've got this my idea that this mind is the powerful thing and the flesh is is the weak thing. And Damasio said, no, 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 no. He says it's a two way street. He said nothing gets into your brain that hasn't come through your body first. It's like, mm. oh, that's interesting. We have senses, right? He says, so it comes through a filter. It comes through a filter. Every input that goes into our brain, we either hear it. You know, there are all kinds of studies showing that we don't actually listen to what people are saying, right? We hear what, what we think is being said. Our eyes fool us all the time. Yeah. There are optical illusions, you know, our sensations. You know, when we have a, an emotional response and have a physical sensation or something, they can be, uh, what am I saying? Not lying to us, but they can be uh, reflecting something that's not quite real. Uh, you know, eyes tri- yeah. play tricks and so forth and so on. So there's, there's this two way street going on. So we get sick and it inflicts, it, it, it affects our thinking, right? Or as then you're saying also, you know, th- the thinking also affects the healing. So it's, it's important to knit together these two. It's like we have, we have to in the West have to recover it. The Chinese, in- unless they've been Westernized, right? Grew up in a, in the Western way of thinking. It's the scientific way of thinking. They don't have to knit together this idea. They, it's never been separated for them. So all these things like meditation, like tapping, like hypnosis are ways of knitting back together our awareness that they're connected. We never disconnected them. We just disconnected our awareness of the two being related. Yeah, absolutely. That is, that's a great point. And this whole, it's so fascinating. Lately, what I've been really interested in researching is this, this whole notion of the separation and where that's come from, from Descartes, from Newton, from these great scientists of our time, but they, they drew these divider lines between us and the world out there, between our mind and our body, and drew all these things that were separating us, whereas now all this latest research in what I've been researching now is this quantum physics and <laughs> its relationship to healing and health and how 99.99999% of the world reality is empty space and the 0.0001% is matter, is the physical. And we've built 
skyscrapers and computers and lap and phones all with the physical and that's beautiful and awesome and it's improved our life so much but we sort of turned our eye away from the non-physical the energy the spiritual and what they're discovering is that that actually has such an impact on the physical world especially when it comes to our own body whether or not you want to believe that your thoughts can manifest whatever into your life, can manifest peace or a car or whatever, that's a different belief. But I fully believe that our thoughts and our energy and our emotions manifest health or disease in our body. And it's not something like, it's not, oh, if you're sick, you're weak and, and you're, you know, your thoughts, like, it's not something that you're necessarily aware of or in control of, like I was saying before, how the disease can really take a hold and, and create these things. But when we step back into the energy and the emotion, it has such an impact on, on our lives and, and the way that we look at things. Like there's this one study that, um, that, that they did where they took maids in hotels and they basically had, they told half of the maids that you know, what you do is really, really good exercise. Like what you do, you're, you're burning calories, you're getting your heart rate up. And they told them what they did is exercise, whereas the other group, they didn't tell them anything. And just by changing the perception of the maids in the exercise group, their heart, pre- uh, rate, their blood pressure went down, they're like, all of their biomarkers improved just because of the way that they looked at it, their perception changed, their energy towards it changed. And so these do have real physical effects in the body. That's it, yes. And yeah. every once in a while the light peeks through the cracks. There's a recent study out about the effects of emotional heartbreak on the physical heart and that it's as, mm. it's as damaging as a heart attack. And one of my other uh, favorite examples is it comes from the world of, of weight loss and from the other way around. And the, the typical thinking on weight loss is people are um, fat because they're lazy, right? And that mm-hmm. their their yeah. lack of energy and their their lack of is is a is a mental weakness it's a character weakness a character flaw and if they would just get their you know new year's resolution on and and break through that they would be fine but the research actually shows it's the opposite way around is like they're for whatever reason uh become metabolically impaired and the body tries to protect itself by putting on weight and this weight slows down the metabolism so you get in this vicious cycle so that you get heavier and heavier and get more tired and more tired. So they're not not exercising because they're lazy. They're not exercising because they've actually lost energy because they're metabolically damaged. And there are just so many examples like that if you look through. And you know, the same thing with Lyme disease. And that's that's why it's so tough in the beginning if it hasn't been diagnosed. And even if it is, you know, some doctors think – there's no such thing as chronic Lyme or, you know, post Lyme, whatever they're going to call it these days. Uh, you know, it's clear there clearly is. And the same people are suffering with, you know, fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome, syndrome, where there's no smoking 
gun. There's just lots of smoke, right? So it's so easy to for the doctors to fall back into, oh, this is psychological, A, because they have drugs to treat that. And B, that's just mm. the, the mindset that they're, that they're coming from, that this is somehow uh, a psychological disease, that you're, you're actually d- depressed and that you're, you, ne- you need some help. Your brain chemistry has gotten imbalanced in some way and that you have a deficiency in, uh, in serotonin reuptake inhibitors and you need to fix that deficiency. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's challenging because we're realizing how complex these these things are and how systemic they are. Like almost all of these conditions are from immune dysfunction and from inflammation. And it's a whole cascade of of physical things in the body that it's for them. It's like they need a, a cluster of symptoms equals this one disease. Whereas these, these modern diseases of Lyme and fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, they're, they're really defying the medical model that we have in place because it's not a holistic model. It's not looking at the, the immune system, the immune function, and all of these things. And so, yeah, that, that's a, a very good point. You know, it's almost as if you've got this, your health is a symphony orchestra, right? And, playing, and it's playing attitude and it's just not, just not playing well. And so the doctor comes in and starts listening closely and says, okay, okay, it's, it's just, it's just the string section. Okay. Let's listen for the string. Okay. And it's somewhere between the violins and the violas. Okay. So everybody else be quiet. Violins, violas, play your part. Okay. It's definitely not the violins. It's the violas. Okay. So now we're listening <laughs> to violas and it's not, okay. It's not the first violas. It's the second viol. Okay. So now we're going to tune in there. Okay. And it's not the lead chair. It's the third chair. Okay. So you, now we're going to, you play your part. Everybody else be quiet. Be, you know, this is really important. Okay. And it's not everything, but you've got this one string. This, this one string seems to be a little bit sharper flat. So we're going to now change that. And then you say, okay, we've got that in tune and okay. Now everybody play again and nothing's better. <laughs> right. That is so, that sums up about seven years of my <laughs> Line journey of going from one specialist to the next specialist to the next and they're all looking at through like such a tiny little magnifying glass at this one part and to me like it just th- obviously those are important in certain cases of acute illness or, or trauma but when you're dealing with these whole systemic big picture illnesses it's like fixing that w- little thing in the digestion like that doesn't solve the whole issue and it's again this idea of separation and how we're constantly trying to chop things down into smaller and smaller and smaller pieces and because we think that's going to help us figure it out but i can only speak personally but for me when i took the step back and started looking at it more wholly more holistically thinking of my body as one system instead of all these different organs and and things that were all separate from each other and even seeing myself as one thing part of a bigger thing you know like that gets into the more spiritual thing but but not seeing yourself and your mind all these things as separate entities seeing them more holistically and realizing that you have the power to 
influence them through your emotions and and thoughts and obviously food physical things have to be part of the equation but it's not the only part of the equation and actually that that leads into one final point i wanted to make that kind of sums things up a little bit go right ahead so there's also this another book that i found that really was really a beautiful book it's called radical remission by this dr kelly turner and she basically she was a traditional doctor and but she started seeing all these cases in the literature of cancer patients who has basically were told by the traditional system get your affairs in order you're done and all these people ended up healing and so she became curious of they're called spontaneous remissions not because they happen immediately but because they happen without uh, you know the traditional medical care and so she came up with these nine sort of themes that all of these people who recovered um, not these nine principles so I'll just go through them quickly because I think we sort of touched on all of these in, in different ways so number one is radically changing your diet number two taking control of your health number three following your intuition. Number four, using targeted herbs and supplements. Number five, releasing suppressed emotions. Six, increasing positive emotions. Seven, embracing social support. Eight, deepening your spiritual connection. And nine, having strong reasons for living. So it's funny because I only discovered this book recently and Looking back on the past year of my recovery, every single one of those nine things has played a huge role in this final piece of my recovery. And I, I think it's just a great encapsulation of, of what we've been discussing. Yeah. I, I would definitely recommend that book to people. Thanks. I'll, I'm going to, that's first I've heard of this book and I'm going to track her down, see if we can get an interview with her, because those nine things are absolutely spot on, right? That's that summarizes the healing journey that I've heard, you know, over these hundred sixty plus interviews. It's it's pretty amazing. I've never heard it that succinctly put together. It's like, okay, somebody's figured this thing out. Not yeah, like it's not like right. A it, it, it's totally a roadmap, right? Not not like the. The journey is doesn't still need to be traveled, but like here's here's a roadmap that's that's going to help you get there, especially when when things go a little bit south. And it's also a great checklist in that what's still missing. You know, I'm not quite there yet. What's still missing? And for some people, it is herbs, right? Some people, it is diet. Uh, some people, though, it is the emotional stuff or the spiritual stuff that's fascinating. Jared. You have been very, very generous with your time. I really appreciate it. And thanks for summing up our conversation in such a beautiful way. You took the pressure off me so I don't have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I just want to say two more quick things. Okay. One, thank you so much for what you do with this podcast. When I was in a dark place and I felt so alone and like no one heard me or understood me, Coming across you and Aurora and, and all the beautiful guests that you've had on this podcast just made me realize that there are people out there that understand and that I'm not alone and that there's people working so hard to figure this out and to help me 
and that was just really special to me. So I just wanted to thank you and Aurora for everything that you do. And I hope that I've contributed in some small way to this whole thing that you have going. And secondly, I just wanted to offer to your listeners that there's, I know I mentioned a lot of books, but there's a book called uh, You Are the Placebo by Dr. Joe Dispenza, who I mentioned earlier. And I wanted to just give away five copies of the book to any of your listeners because it was instrumental in my recovery and it has a lot of this information in a much more succinct and, you know, someone that's much smarter than I am going over all these things with research and data. And it, it changed my life. And I just wanted to offer that to some of the listeners. That's ridiculously generous of you. We can, uh, do it one of two ways, and that is people can email you, or we can handle people entering their names and email addresses. I could just forward the the five winners on to you. It's it's up to you. It's your it's your gig, but we can help. Absolutely, the- that would probably be be easier. But if people do want to email me for any of these resources I mentioned or ask questions, I'm happy to to give that information out as well. All right, what's your email address? It's J-I-V, as in Victor, E-R-S-E-N-2-7 at gmail.com. Just J-Iverson27 at gmail.com. And, yeah, I would love to hear from people and help out any way that I can because I know how difficult this journey is and how long it is. And if any of this information resonated with you, you can probably tell I love talking about this stuff, and I'm happy to share anything that I've, that I've learned. Jared, thanks so much. Thank you, McKay. I really appreciate everything that you do. And thanks for taking the time to talk to me. He's giving us books to give away. I was so shocked. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I was too. It's just, it doesn't happen all that often, does it? Number 162? I know. (laughs) (laughs) And it's the first time. I know. It was just, it's very generous of him. To enter to win a free copy of the books Jared has donated, and that is You Are the Placebo by Dr. Joe Dispenza. You can do it one of two ways. Look on Facebook, go on over to Lime Ninja Radio on Facebook, and you will see the contest toward the top of the page. We'll try and we'll pin it to the top of the page. And then you just click on that link and just give your name and email and we'll run the drawing from there. Also, you can go over to LimeNinjaRadio.com and click on Jared's interview and you will see a link to the contest. Just scroll down a little bit. We'll have the link right there also. And that's how you enter. That's how you enter. So he's he's given away four books, right? Yeah. That's again, that's just so such a lovely gesture. And the book some sounds amazing. Yeah. I've ordered a copy for myself. It's like I have to get that book. Cool beans, as they say. Actually, who says that? <laughs> that's me. <laughs> you say that? I see that. Wow, it's rubbing off. <laughs> Speaking of giving away books, last week we held a contest giving away four of Sarah Sanchez's books. And she also donated four copies. Very generous of her. And we have our four winners. So if you entered that contest, look on your email. 
and you will see whether or not you won. Actually, that's not true. You only see if you did win. It only sends out, the system only sends out those email to the winners. So if you did get an email, I'm sorry, you didn't win. But if you did, yes. it's good news. And the winners, we'll get the first name for the winners. Jean Ann, Margaret, Dana, and Bailey each won a copy of Sarah Sanchez's book, Little Bite, Big Problem. Okay. Where okay. where are we on our script? It's like, okay, what's next? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Actually, um, why don't we talk about Greg Lee? Yeah. Greg Lee has been a guest on the show a couple times. He's my mentor in terms of acupuncture and Chinese medicine and essential oils and all kinds of way out there Lyme treatments. And he's going to be in Ohio uh, speaking, uh, giving a speech about essential oils. So if you're in Ohio... Look him up. Look him up and go and support him, right? Now, yeah. is that are you? Do you have the details of that in Ninja yeah. Nuggets? Yes, I do. So each week we send out an email to everybody on our email list, and we're focusing more and more on treatment strategies because that seems to be what people are really hungry for. So we're pivoting away from news items, which we thought were interesting, and pivoting much more toward how different ideals and different strategies for treating Lyme disease. So how you get on this mailing list, you can enter the book. You'll, we'll put you on the mailing list, the yep. book giveaway. That does that. Or go on over to... LimeNinjaRadio.com and sign and uh, subscribe. Yes, just give us your email address. You'll see the pop-up there. So LimeNinjaRadio.com and you can sign up. Okay. Oh, the other thing is we've... People are starting to use the Lyme tracker, the symptom tracker that we put together more and more, and they're getting good feedback and they're using it in very interesting ways. So we've had it out now for just a little bit over two months. So people have used it two, a few people have used it three times, but most people have taken it once or, or twice. And it's the feedback we're getting is just wonderful. If you haven't yet, if you don't know your Lyme score, if you're not tracking your Lyme symptoms, this is just a great way to do it. Once a month, it's not too onerous. You just go through, answer some questions, and you're done. It takes about, what, seven minutes, eight minutes? Five minutes. It's, if you take a break and get a cup of tea, maybe 12. <laughs> it really doesn't take that long. So yeah. go on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com forward slash tracker and you'll see the instructions there in a little description about the Lyme Ninja symptom survey. It's a great tool. You owe it to yourself to go check it out. Okay. Oh, last thing. iTunes. iTunes. Please head on over to iTunes. And give us a review. Give us five stars. We'd really that, appreciate it. It helps spread the word. So if you have a moment to do that right now, we'd appreciate it. If you have any ideas for guests, top subjects topics you want covered we will read your we read all the emails that come in we do um so you can get a hold of us on facebook you can look up lime ninja radio there but really the best most direct way is feedback at lime ninja radio.com that's the email feedback at lime ninja radio.com okay i think we've checked all the boxes so it's that time as you longtime Lime Ninjas know, this podcast would not be complete without the Lime Ninja fact of the day. Did you know when a ninja enters the sauna, the sauna starts sweating? Mm -hmm.
Ranger Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique, and Lime Ranger Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.